Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You should have seen the panic in Evan's texts when I was messing with him today saying that we were going to wait up for him to record the podcast because he's flying budget airline that will not be named in the oh, spirit. I'm, I'm sure he is. He, no, he actually is. So he says. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He's got actually getting an extra 18 holes in. And uh, he knows with that airline, you're going to be delayed a trillion times. And I was messing with him like, oh, we'll wait up. Let us know when you're going to get in. And like the horror he must have had in his eyes to think, I'm going to get home at 1230 and then drive to Ryan's house to record the podcast. Uh, hey, you know what? If he's going to rub it in our face by going on vacation, that's what he gets. How you doing, Brad? I'm okay. For a man with two kids, a family, two kids, a household, you have a job. Like you have a lot on the go, and I give you a lot of crap all the time, but you do hold things surprisingly well together. From a friend to a friend, you need to work on eating before you get here. <laughs> I have a house. What, what was my problem in the winter, Ryan? It wasn't not eating. It was eating every meal in the car on the way here. I was like, Brad, just come in the house and eat. It's okay. It actually makes me like, I think this is, uh, my mom must have passed it down to me, <laughs> but you came in, you're like, yeah, I was just sitting in my car eating. I'm like, oh my God, come inside. That makes me sad. <laughs> I think I'm sitting in my car eating. No, I'm driving. I'm breaking the law. No. Like, I'm not, I don't eat this in my car. This one right here, officer. Yeah. I don't eat in my car. Uh, because I enjoy it or the convenience. It is literally a time requirement a lot of days. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, probably our last episode before Brad's arrested and Evan it never makes it back from his uh, vacation, you know, circling the world, flying solo. No, just kidding. He'll be back next episode. Uh, here to talk all things Red Wings hockey, NHL, and the world of hockey itself, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm the other host that's not currently stuck in the Jackson Hole. I'm Brad Crisco. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be chatting a little bit about uh, the Red Wings, their ongoing coaching search and some news in that realm, as well as a look at a free agent that I think we've talked about a few times that deserves a little bit of a deeper dive in terms of what it might look like to bring him in and whether it makes sense. We'll be taking a look at the playoffs. Both series are wrapped up three games. Uh, one's closer than the other, but notable storylines in both uh, there's some NHL awards voting. There's a prospect profile from a very, I think this is going to be a, a prospect that a lot of you are going to want, have wanted to hear about already. So he's Swedish. So we have to talk about him. Large, large is banging his fist on the table long enough. And then uh, we'll take a look at some betting odds before heading into uh overtime. Before we do that, uh, I first, of course, want to mention to you that the Winged Wheel podcast and Prashanth Iyer have teamed up uh, starting last season, actually, for Wings Money on the Board, which is a campaign in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And we are nearing $30,000 raised uh, in in an effort to, uh, a season-long effort to kind of raise that uh, raise those funds for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, all the great work that they do. The way we did it was by making pledges based on the Red Wing season, good or bad stuff. And uh, you all had a blast with it, made the most of it through that and Wing Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with our friends at the Detroit Red Wings. Um, you've made a massive, massive, massive difference. So 
once the Calder Trophy is announced, I think we are going to possibly get close to that stretch goal of $30,000. So uh, check it out uh, at wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. If you scroll down, you'll see more information about Wings Money on the Board and go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to find out more about the very important work that they're doing. All right, Brad, the Detroit Red Wings. Where are you in the I'm getting antsy about the coaching situation scale? Zero being not concerned, 10 being panicking. Yeah. Negative two. Well, not panicking. I don't think panicking should be that end of the scale. I think maybe like antsy, right? The scale has to have a definitive end and the end is panicking. Oh, all right. Suits yourself. So like antsy would be like a six. It's a funny world because you know, you know for a fact that this has been a like dense, intentional, like really all hands on deck process as much as something is under Steve Eisenman's uh, tenure in Detroit or, or management at Detroit. And anyone and anyone, anyone, anyone and everyone who uh, could be considered is being considered. And that's the end of, of what's common knowledge. Here is the information that's come out that we know of. There has been light chatter about um, John Tortorella across pretty much all coaching vacancies. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that John Tortorella has not made it public in a, in a sense to push team's hand, but because he works in broadcasting, he needs to give his employer a heads up. So that's why that news is out. Um, like it or not, there is light chatter about Mike Babcock again, across all coaching vacancies. And uh, I think it's because Elliot Friedman mentioned in the past that he sees Rick Tockett as a fit. That is a rumor that's going around. Could any of those be substantiated where you could even, you know, put five bucks down on a betting line? No, absolutely not. Are they all possible? Yeah, for sure. Are they even the tip of the iceberg in terms of who Eisenman and the Red Wings are considering? Not even remotely. They're a little, it's a little ice chip in an iceberg the size of the one that took down the Titanic. Like there is so much that goes into this. And I just think it's hysterical. It is so funny that we are this far in and we have no idea. Have they started interviews? Are they done interviews? Are they halfway through? Are they even done compiling the list? Are they even getting to this right now? Are they just focusing on the draft? No, nothing. Meanwhile, in Philly, we have essentially verification on who they're not going to hire. We In Vegas and Winnipeg, we have their preference and that's all public. It's such a, it's, it's old news for Red Wings and Red Wings storylines, but it's such a funny dichotomy between Detroit and the rest of the league in terms of who knows what and what is out about Detroit. Well, every rumor we have to lean on for Detroit is going to be based on other teams. Pretty much. Oh, they hired a guy? Okay, take that guy <laughs> off the Red Wings list. Oh, this coach said he's narrowed his list down to these teams? Okay, Detroit's not on the list. We can stop talking about him. Beyond that, yeah, we're going to get nothing. But getting back to the question about the scale and why I'm not concerned at all is because the entire NHL in terms of the teams that are looking for coach anyway are in a holding pattern right now until Barry Trotz he's, is hired. He's a log jam. Yeah. Yeah. Once that domino falls, then there probably needs to be more of a, then there needs to be more of a giddy up on the other teams, you know, if they have preferred candidates beyond Barry Trotz, okay. Now you're at risk of losing out 
because another team scoops them up. Like, you know, let's say the Red Wings preference right now, just to pick a name out of a hat, it might not be true, is Derek Lalonde. Right. But their first choice is Barry Trotz. Detroit finds out tomorrow Barry Trotz is going to Vegas. Right. Okay. Within the week, Derek Long could be gone to any one of the other teams looking for a coach for all they know. So that's when a little bit of urgency starts to come in. But at the same time, there's a lot of candidates out there right now. So unless they are really hyper-focused on like one or two guys, there's not going to be a huge problem here regardless. Now, if they're, like I said, hyper-focused and the trots domino falls, all right, you're on the clock. You got to jump on it quick. Because even though there's a lot of candidates, you don't know, there's also a lot of teams looking and you don't know what their preference is going to be. So for a team like the Flyers, they could be all in on a veteran coach or they could be all in on a new guy. We don't know for sure. And Steve Eisenman probably doesn't know for sure. So, you know, I, I kind of liken it to when Eisenman needed a goalie in that last draft. Yeah. There was only two. Obviously, we know now Kosa was his preference. We don't know how far behind Wallstedt was, but where the Red Wings' uh, second first-round pick was um, and the goalie-needy teams between them and, you know, that pick, he had to pounce and he had to move up to do it. And, you know, if there were five goalies in that range, do you think he would have moved up? No, No. Probably not. I will say, I think it must have been a wide gap between Kosa and Wallstedt. To trade up that seven spots, I believe it was. Yeah, he they had their mind made up, and that's kind of what I'm getting at with the coaching. If they view a coach like they viewed Kosa, after Trotz goes, we should find out within a week. If not, we might not know for a couple months. That's a really good point, Brad, and, and something I want to dig into a little more. As Red Wings fans, pretty much since this podcast started more than seven years ago, we have been operating in a space of who is the definitive best person for X. And very obviously, that is within the context of the draft. That's what we've been thinking about the entire time because this team has been rebuilding, whether they, they like to admit it or not, from the time this podcast started until now. So we've always been saying, who is the best player at fourth overall? Who is the best player at sixth overall? Who is the best player at sixth overall? Who is the best player at sixth overall? Yes, I recycled that joke. No, I do not care. Um and we've always been trying to like suss out where do we rank them? Where do we, where does one place above the other? Was this objectively the right pick or not? And we know the way it shakes out in the draft that, you know, there are all, there are a lot of good options. Who did we want more insiders here? Trevor Zegras. He would have been a phenomenal choice. Red Wings fans wouldn't have been upset, but we found a guy who is not by leaps and bounds, but still better. You can position him pretty confidently above Zegras in terms of who did the Red Wings should have selected. I think that murkiness and the you have to think more of like a tier or a pool of people rather than a definitive better option. I think that is so much more amplified in terms of coaching. Coaching is a funny business in the NHL. I don't want to say it doesn't have. Well, no, I do want to say it It has less of an impact than the players on the ice. And that's the obvious statement of the day. It's still important and you have to find that balance. But what I'm getting at is there are a lot of people who could do exactly what the Red Wings need right now to be successful in this phase and the next when they're hoping to be competitive in the playoffs and and potentially the cup down the road. There's no one single way to do it. There's no one single coaching style. There's no one single source where you get get those coaches from. So yeah, you talked about not being stressed about this coaching search and, and I'm right there with you because 
there are a lot of aside from the fact that Steve Eisman is the one making the selection and he hired John Cooper, who is now shooting for his third cup in a row. There are a lot of people who can do this job. And there are a lot of coaching candidates out there right now. And we're we're actually seeing a little bit of a frame shift in terms of who's even being considered or a lot more fresh blood coming into play. It's wide open and this isn't the same stress that a draft provides. So for once, the Red Wings, Red Wings fans have a big decision to look forward to, but it's it can go well a lot of different ways, which is <laughs> Red Wings fans deserve that break. Yeah, there's only one coach whose name is out in the world as a possible candidate for teams that I would definitively hate and be angry with. And that's Mike Babcock for various obvious, very obvious reasons. Right. There's a couple that I will call it not my ideal choices and they have very obvious flaws, but even those candidates, you know, maybe they have evolved, maybe with a different style team, they have a different philosophy or maybe if they have a more talented team, like I think of Rick Tockett, his coaching tenure, not great, but it was with the Arizona Coyotes. What was he coaching to the team he had? If he gets a Dylan Larkin and a Mo Sider and a Lucas Raymond and a Simon Edmondson, what does that team look like? Again, my ideal choice? No, probably not, but I'm not flipping tables because I just don't know. Um, same thing. It could be an AHL coach that we haven't even heard his name yet and he gets hired and we go, who the hell is that? Right. We don't know. Yeah. Like, so... As long as it's not Mike Babcock, I'm not flipping a table. Like even Tortorella has many redeeming qualities as a coach. Um, again, not my ideal choice, but I'm not flipping a table. I, I can see why they would have interest in him. The other flaws, you know, come with it, but you can deal with those. And maybe I just could hire a guy go, hey, John, congratulations, you're hired. If you're shitty to one reporter, you're gone. If you get in one public feud with a young player, you're gone. Like, you could just say that as part of the, like... <laughs> Torts is funny. Torts is, like, he's great for the first three years, and then and then the, the, the clock is on to see when he lost the room. And it always yeah. happens within a year yeah. or two after that. The We won't get into the back. Yeah, I'm just using him as an example of a candidate most people are firmly against, but, like, probably not worth flipping a table over if it happens. What maturation on this podcast. Don't get angry right away. If Babcock gets hired, flip the table. There's there's absolutely no excuse for that. We but I trust Stevie to not do that. We won't get into the whole Babcock thing. I, well, first of all, I should say, Steve holds Mike Babcock in high regard. He, he really, he speaks highly of his time working with Mike Babcock. He thinks he was a great coach. Um, I think it's worth saying, it's not necessarily about results on the ice. And there would be a lot of fair criticisms about how much success the, success the Red Wings had in the mid to late 2000s compared to how many they, cups they actually had. Could the Red Wings have won and should the Red Wings have won more cups? Yes. Yeah. Is Mike Babcock bad as a coach? No, he's average at worst. At, Mike, at his height, he, yeah. was fin- he was the best in the world. He was great. It's the person. If Babcock came back with no baggage, I wouldn't hate it. But that baggage and all those, you know, deep flaws as a human being. Yeah, that's the problem there. It's the stuff. It's the very real stuff that we heard directly from players like Johan Franzen. And then you have the same kind of testimonials corroborating that from his time in Toronto like knowing the impact that he made in Detroit and and 
how he just kind of tore players down like that. And then he did the same thing somewhere else. So it, it was a pattern to me. I don't know. I, I'm always open to people having a second opportunity. And sometimes people do shitty things for a long time because they're good and they can get away with it. And it's not until they're torn down or they, they, it blows up in their face. Do they have a chance to, to get better or, or recognize their mistake? But when he was asked about it, it was very much a, I'm sorry if I hurt answer, which to me is just automatically disingenuous. And it's like, there was a lot of like implicit denial in there. Do, will we ever know the full story? No, but you know, where there's a lot of smoke, there's fire. And this wasn't even a lot of smoke across both teams and even beyond. There was quite a bit of, of actual flames here. So where, I mean, we're not going to go down the Mike Babcock rabbit hole. I know a lot of people, you know, are like Babcock was great. I'm sure I'm actually pretty positive. Mike Babcock could be a fantastic coach in the NHL again. To me, it's just too raw. It's too raw and it's too real and it's too personal in Detroit. Let's talk about something a little bit more exciting. Uh, free agency. Are the Red Wings in a place where they're going to go out and get a bunch of big name free agents? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It, it really depends on the, the direction Eisman goes. And he's at a little bit of a crossroads here. I'm sure if you suggested as much to him, he'd laugh in your face. So don't tell him we said that. Um, but at some point, the Red Wings are going to have to look to free agency to solve some of the holes in the roster. For the sake of this hypothetical second line center. Let's say Strom doesn't come over from Chicago because they qualify him or someone else grabs him. And let's say they don't luck out and get a year one ready center in the draft, which is almost guaranteed to be the case that they won't have that. Well, there's one of those in this draft and uh, I don't think he's getting to eight. No. Well, I mean, teams have been asking your Slavkovsky if the, he can play center. So there's that. Um, yeah, I don't even, I'm not even convinced Slavkovsky, Slavkovsky is a year one player, so... Vincent Trocek in Carolina. Carolina runs a funny way of signing and paying people both on and off the ice. They run a tight budget. Trocek is going to look to cash out, play center, would easily be a second line center. Detroit's bonafide second line center um, would perform, I think, very well. He's at he's at that point in his career where you probably don't want to sign him to seven years because that would take him to age 36, I believe. Um, but that's an opportunity to bring in a guy who could make a real difference on your team, I think in terms of the win column. So Vincent Trocek, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, the evolving hockey predicted contract here, and they think the most likely one is a four year, $5.95 million deal. So let's start with that. Would you do that if you're Steve Eisman in Detroit? Initial reaction is yes. Um, Based on two things. One, you have to put someone there eventually, and they are not drafting anybody this year who would do that in the next two years. And then when, you know, hypothetically they take a Frank Nazer or a Connor Geeky or a pick your center here, they're probably two years away. And when you bring them up, you're probably not throwing them immediately into the top six, especially in a year where the Red Wings are probably hoping to make the playoffs. So you need, uh, three-year stop gap at worst. And um, the Red Wings are in a position right now where is that probably a slight overpay for the back half of that contract? Yeah, probably. It's probably a slight overpay for the last three years of that contract. I don't think that matters. The Red Wings aren't so strapped up for cap space right now and they're not getting locked in long-term. Trocheck fits the bill of what 
you know, we beat this um, talking point to death, but it's true. He fits the bill of what Steve Eisman looks like in a player. He got silky votes this year, and he still was, uh, I think, comfortably over a half a point per game this year. So you get a two a true 200-foot center who shoots right. Which is a big deal for the Red Wings. Yeah, which most teams don't matter at center, but for the Red Wings, it matters. Um, and he'd be able to play all their special teams and probably eat, you know, 17 to 20 minutes a night if they need him to. I would be on board with that. Um, I'd be a little surprised if that's what he, all he gets in free agency. Cause obviously unrestricted free agency is a different animal and teams panic, right. especially in a free agent crop like this one, where the fact that we're having these conversations about Vincent Trocheck tells you how deep the class is at center. Right. So if that's the hypothetical and nobody trips over themselves to overpay for a second line center. Yeah. That's probably your Best case scenario, because again, we've gone over the the flaws of paying, you know, of not necessarily Philip Forsberg, someone like that, you know, eight, seven years at a billion dollars when they're almost 30. If you can get a lesser player around the same age on lesser term, yeah, that's probably about as good as you're going to do. That's you touched on a really good point there, Brad. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's 29. He's going to want to cash out. And I'm not saying, you know, 5.95 isn't doing that for him, but he's going to want as much term and as much money as possible. And this is the best opportunity in his career where he's going to have the most leverage to do just that. So it's been kind of a theme of of pandemic slash post-pandemic NHL cap era where teams are still tight. The, the cap's not going up for a little while yet as they recover what they lost uh, over the shortened season and beyond. So there won't be as much competition. There won't be as much stupid money to throw around. Think of it like the housing market. Like while rates are low and people were were had a oodles of cash coming their way because they weren't spending it on anything else, housing prices were way up and you couldn't get anything. I mean, that's still true here, but I digress. Um, there won't be those teams who as many suitors to throw a ton of money. So if you are a team like the Red Wings and Eisenman who want to go out and get Trocheck, you probably aren't in a situation where you'd have to overpay as much as you would have five years ago or five years from now. But I don't know. I think you might be asking for too much. And if you're going to be paying that much, I'm not saying it's not worth it, but it all comes back to what we've been talking about for a long time. What Prashanth has been talking about in his, um, if I receive Eisman series and what in the future editions, which path is Eisman going to take this off season? Cause if you're bringing in Trocheck, I maintain you should be gunning to make the playoffs sooner rather than later because you don't want to you don't want to waste those good years paying that much money moving yourself further away from the Connor Bedard Michkov Fantilli draft while still getting nothing out of it in terms of a playoff round at least four games right it sounds silly but you have to start trying to get better and you have to think that you have the platform to get better so the foundation is is mostly there but Trocheck could not be the only move you make in the summer, if you are bringing him in, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know. I don't think Trocheck's that guy. I think Trocheck is good enough to definitely, well, obviously he makes them better. Um, I don't think he makes them a playoff team. No, no, he doesn't. Not on his own. No, I think, like I said, I think we as Wings fans are look at things a little too simplistically. Like, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> oh, if we draft a center. Cool. We don't need a center. Well, like I said, uh, you know, I'll, Again, just because we took him in the mock draft, if the Red Wings take Frank Nazer, 
he's a two-year project in all likelihood. At least, yeah. Yeah. And like I said earlier, you're not throwing him to the wolves in the top six in year three. So you need someone there. And, you know, as much as we love Pew Suter, you probably don't want that to be Pew Suter because you saw what that does to a team. And there is something to be said. You can't have, you know, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond and, you know, Simon Edmondson spending their first two, three years in the league getting caved every week. No. Can't happen. You want a guy like Vincent Trocek and Dylan Larkin, obviously, to teach a Joe Valeno how to be a center in the NHL. That I don't think Michael Rasmussen is a center, but if the Red Wings do, to teach him how to be a center in the NHL. You know, Pugh Suter, that was his second year in the NHL. Love the guy, but I don't think he was teaching anybody anything. He was still finding his way through the NHL and how to be an everydayer in the NHL. And, you know, credit to him. He played 82 games. Just turned 26 the other day. Yeah, exactly. So... There's a lot of benefits to getting a Vincent Trocek on this team without saying, oh, he's here to get us to the playoffs. You know, do I still think they need to sign a left-handed defenseman of at least some quality? Yeah. Do I expect progression from Sider, Raymond, Valeno, a couple other guys this year? Yeah. So, grand statement, do I expect the Red Wings to win a bunch more games this year? Yeah. I don't think they're a playoff contender, and I think they're a fringe at best the year after that. But years three and four? Oh, they definitely are. And... Or they definitely should be. And, you know, are you probably overpaying at six mil for a 32, 33-year-old Vincent Trocek? Yeah. But with the way Steve Eisenman operates, I don't think he's going to be um, a huge impediment to their cap. And I think he's still going to be a good player at that point. Is he a 2C? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, you know, a 33-year-old Vincent Trocek is your 3C? Probably means you're a pretty good team. So is that 2C a trade, another free agent? Uh, you know, one of the prospects panned out really well? Maybe. But you need someone to get you, I guess my ultimate point here is you need someone to get you over the hump, not to it. And Trocek kind of fits both sides of that. So yeah, I don't think signing a Trocek this year means Eisenman needs to go all in. To be like, yeah, we got to make a run to the playoffs this year. But you signed Trocek to make a playoff run. It's just not this year. All of that with a big fat qualifier of Trocek in the what he perceives as the prime of his career, or at least his last really prime-ish years, would have to want to come to a team that is still rebuilding. And he's going to have to probably wait a couple of years to taste playoff hockey again. And he's going to have offers probably from places with lower state income tax or provincial income tax and, 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 and. So the the things that will play in Detroit's favor here, though, I guess are worth mentioning because I'm very pessimistic about Detroit being able to land someone like a Vincent Trocek. Like I'm in that boat right now. Yeah. But there are a lot of big names on the free agent market. So the teams that land John Klingberg, Philip Forsberg, Johnny Goudreau, et cetera, et cetera. They're not going to be in the Vincent Trocek sweepstakes. No, no one has that much cap. There's a bunch of other teams who are really good right now and would love to add a Vincent Trocek. Yeah, they're capped out already. Yeah. there's And there's a good, healthy amount of teams who fit that bill. Toronto, Tampa, Vegas. Yeah, they're not signing Vincent Trocek. Meanwhile, Detroit has enough cap to give every man, woman, and child in America $20. Yeah. So the the Red Wings are a team that can present, hey, we'll 
compete in this contract and will pay you we're able to pay you more than some of those other teams but again i don't think they're going to be the most desirable option that can present something like that but they'll be in the room and they do have the eisman influence okay uh more to come on free agency i'm sure we'll talk about some other free agents that might be notable for the red wings but for now uh why don't we chat about the fact that this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel sportsbook a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need even more excitement in the game there's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. First, they're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. Plus, when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. Why don't we chalk about a uh, a prospect who I think is being overlooked a little bit in the face of some more prominent, potentially, centermen in and around Detroit's pick at eighth overall, but one that a lot of people have been banging their fists on the table for, large from the Swedish winger, uh, has been the the first and foremost of that. He's been talking about Jonathan LeCaramacchi for a long time, uh, but LeCaramacchi is a, a right shot incredible goal scoring winger out of sweden he played for jurgarden and uh just a fantastic shooting talent who could potentially make some noise around that pick for detroit even though he's not necessarily at a position of need so jonathan lakaramaki super interesting prospect uh, a lot of people think he's the way to go what's your take on him brad boy if you love team of Polkinen, no i'm kidding uh, <laughs> no, don't do that i'm kidding i I'm coming around on prospects like LeCaramaki where they are so focused on one skill. Not that he's bad in other aspects of the game, but with LeCaramaki and, you know, obviously Joachim Kemmel, it's no secret they're shots. They're bread and butter, and that's how they're going to make their living in the NHL. Um, you know, he, he's good at other aspects of the game. He, he's quick. He plays with pace. Um, he's... An okay puck mover. I, I won't say it's a, it'll be a detriment to him at the NHL level, but I don't think that'll ever be like a strength of his. Um, but he's really good at finding open ice. He's really good at, and I want to clarify the dis- difference between these two because finding open ice is a skill and getting open ice is a separate skill. And he's good at both of them. So finding open ice when his teammates have the puck and getting himself in a position to shoot. And when he has the puck, being able to maneuver through traffic to get himself in a position to shoot. I think he's very, very strong at both of those things. I think, again, he is a little hyper-focused because his entire game revolves around finding a way to get his shot off. And that shot is elite. 
Yes. Do not get me wrong. It's not like, you know, probably he's, top he's a, three in his draft class. Yeah. It's worth him dedicating all his time yeah. to try and do that. Now, maybe I've always been jaded as a Red Wings fan because we've seen these before with Timo Polkanen and Martin Ferg and, you know, the guys who, oh, you can't question their shot, but just were never able to yeah. make it happen at the NHL level. I don't think that's as big of a concern with Karamaki because of the things I stated previous. But another way I'm coming around in the NHL is if you're so good at it, I think there's still a future for you in the NHL. We've known Ovechkin for years to be that guy. Now, Ovechkin obviously can score goals in a billion ways. But, you know, on the power play, you knew where he was going to be standing. You knew what he was going to do. And you knew what his teammates were trying to do. And he still did it better than any other shooter in the history of hockey. So, but the playoffs, there's one player in particular that strikes me as... um kind of a mold for what Lakaramaki could become, albeit at different positions. The New York Rangers have made no secrets on their power play and in offensive situations what Mika Zibanejad's going to do. Ah, I was wondering where you're going to go with that. The, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, even though they won the game today, the broadcast was talking about how they were very specifically trying to shut down Zibanejad as a shooting threat on the power play because he was just annihilating everybody in the playoffs from the OV spot. So what did Zibanejad do? He just backed up. He just went further away from the net to the point they couldn't cheat out that far. And he still ripped one on Vasilevsky from doing that exact thing today. So if you are that elite of a shooter, you can get away with it as long as you understand the situations around you. Now Zibanejad is also a very responsible uh, 200-foot player who's a good enough passer that, you know, when he's on the ice with Panarin and Fox – he doesn't have to be the only trigger man. So if Lakaramaki can be something like that, obviously he's smaller than Zibanejad. He's not a center. I understand it's not a one-to-one comparison, but if he can find that home and, and legitimately hone his shot to be that level, oh, if the Red Wings take him at eight, I'm not complaining. If Zibanejad goes in a lot of – who Mika Zibanejad is as a player now would go first overall in some drafts. So, obviously, I am setting very lofty expectations. But, you know, we could have this conversation about Joachim Kemmel. We could have this about Lakaramaki. And what it comes down to is what is their ultimate upside? I don't know. Nobody knows. But the toolkit there, though the flaws are are pretty obvious the, and the strengths are – extremely obvious he can still make it work i think so that makes him viable at eight like no matter whether you're a take best player available kind of person where you'd be happy to take another you know let's say you want your check that's a right-handed defenseman you're gonna play behind cider you just took cider there's other holes or you're a no we need a position of need so we take center or lefty maybe i don't know uh probably center I think no matter which approach you have to this draft, Lakaramaki is probably going to come in four or five on your list of players who are likely uh, to be available for Detroit around pick eight, at least. And I think the way you put it, Brad, is, is exactly where I'm at. Are you upset if Detroit takes him? Absolutely not. This dude has a, a fantastic shot. Jeff Merrick was talking about something the other day, which really resonated with me, which is that teams want guys, and especially right now in these playoffs, they want guys who can just score. And that seems like an overly simplistic statement, but they want guys who can score 
you know, low blocker. They want a guy who can who can pick the five hole when it's there. They want a guy who can score the unremarkable goal that makes no satisfying noise where you almost don't even expect it. And it's not really like this unreal, wicked shot, but they just know where to put it on the goalie. That kind of shooting talent is hard to come by. Like you said, Brad, the kind of players who have that, unless you're 100% certain about it, in which case they're they're going around first or second overall, you kind of have to take your risk with them in the draft because you can have guys who you think have that shot, but then once they get to the NHL ice and the NHL pace and the NHL size, that space and that gap that they usually have to shoot is gone. So can they add that deception to their shot? Do they already have it? How's their release? How's their release going to adapt? How do they play with players who can't put it right exactly where you need it on target every single time? Something that we're seeing Philip Zadina struggle with right now compared to Verona who can score with, you know, two hands behind his back and just his tongue out pretty much. Um, those are, are risks you have to take. And, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to, de- to divine whether LeCaramacchi is going to be able to have that kind of shooting talent. But by everything we've been able to see, I think he he has a good shot to be one of those guys who can just score. Let's make no no uh, uh, mistake about it. This isn't a 200-foot winger who's going to be like a stalwart in the defensive zone. He's an offensive driver. His shot is his main weapon. It is elite. I think he does have you know a good eye for the offensive zone. I like what you said, Brad, about finding space both with and without the, the puck. I think you're exactly right. So it's not he like it's not like he's a one-dimensional pure perimeter shooter in the offensive zone. He has enough in the offensive zone where it would be worth taking a guy who's likely not going to be the best defensive winger in the draft. So, yeah, am I mad about taking Mackey? Absolutely not. I think he's a wicked talent. I think he's probably being really overlooked because people are, are are stretching or yearning for a center for the Red Wings. Do I think he's the best option for the Red Wings at eighth? I think he's in the mix. He wouldn't be my pick, but you could not be mad at, at having that kind of shooting talent and we we mentioned this a little while back. Not every play driver needs to come at the center position. Most often it does. And you need someone at least viable at center, which is why we eke that way more often than not. But Mackey is a guy who can make a difference on his line with the puck on a stick from the wing in my mind. Yeah, it is probably worth mentioning though because he is such a specialist. If he gets to the NHL and he's not scoring goals, He's probably not staying in the NHL. That's boomer bust, right? So you have to keep that in the back of your mind because, you know, we can make this Adina jokes all we want, but we've seen Philip Zadina is able to hang in the NHL, even if he's not scoring goals. Could that be Lekaramaki? Yeah. As he is now, is that likely? Probably not. More to come on Lekaramaki. He will definitely be one of those guys that we zero in on come draft time. All right, let's chat a little bit about the playoffs here. Colorado, Edmonton. We'll talk about the the Kane suspension in just a moment, but three nothing Colorado. I don't even want to say what a surprise. You know, I I made it very clear when I stuck to my Edmonton pick. I do think I did think I was going to be wrong about that, and, and here we are. Colorado's the better team. Um, we haven't seen McDavid and Drysdale step up and steal games like they did against Calgary. To the point where they just beat them into submission. They got damn close in game one. They got close. I don't think this is a 3 nothing where it's like, oh, there's no doubt from the moment the puck hit the ice that Colorado was winning. But Colorado right now looks like they'd, they'd have a hard time losing. Like, Edmonton is getting exposed. Yes. And the people who are petty and vindictive right now 
are taking their victory lap because they're pointing to everything that Mike Smith is doing in this series and everything the Oilers defenseman is doing, defense is doing and going, we told you. We effing told you. Now, this is arguably the best team in the league doing this to them, but there's truth to it. Like, Mike Smith has been like, well, there's no sugar. He's been horrible this year. And I know. We have not seen God mode Mike Smith this series. This is like, especially in game three, Mike Smith stopped at least two or three scoring chances from the abs in game three that 100% should have went in the net. And the abs scored three goals on him that absolutely should not have gone in the net. So (laughs) it's, I don't care how hard he's trying and I don't care how good his crazy saves are. He was the main reason they lost game three and he sure as hell didn't help in game one. Although the entire Oilers defense like completely imploded that game. So this is more or less what I was expecting from this series, just to a bigger extreme than I was expecting. Here's the thing. Mike Smith, and he's been like this his whole career. It's Jekyll yeah. or Hyde. He's, he's either... But it's not like season by season. It's literally like you get a two-game window of him being unreal. Every once in a while, it'll be three or four games and you feel great. I think even game by game windows works in Edmonton's favor because then then you know when you have your opportunities to take a game. But the problem is... It's now it, with Colorado and what they've been able to do to expose um, Edmonton's defense and really hanging Mike Smith out to dry. It is now within a game itself. You're getting Jekyll and Hyde, Mike Smith. In the games where he costs them, he costs Edmonton the win or the loss, whatever. I think there were parts of those games where he did look fantastic and he made a lot of big key saves, but then it fell apart by the second or third period or whatever. And then Colorado scores 10 goals in four seconds. And all of a sudden you're like, well, it was all for naught. It just got thrown away. If Mike Smith has a terrible game one, but it's stellar for games two and three and gives Edmonton a chance to win at least one of those games against what is probably the best team in the playoffs right now, then that's fine. You can actually win a cup on that when you have the best player on the planet and maybe a second or third best player on the planet on your uh, on your top line. But right now, the Edmonton Oilers are getting nothing from their defense. They're getting sometimes less than nothing from Mike Smith. Leon Dreisaitl pretty much needs to be with Connor McDavid on the ice to maximize his output with his high ankle sprain, which is very obviously hampering him. And they are now without Evander Kane for game four because he just got suspended. It It's looking grim for the Oilers. I'm not going to say they're going to get swept. I don't know for sure. It's, you can't bet on mcdavid against against mcdavid any individual game but it's been rough for edmonton they could have had some bounces go their way like you said it's not been a blowout three games but it's a big big task in front of them if they want to compete complete this uh this reverse well the winning goal in game three was a pretty good summary of the entire series evan bouchard hits the post after edmonton ran a great power play Puck comes down the ice, Comfer wins a battle against the Oilers defenseman that he probably shouldn't have, and then a soft, puts a soft one through Mike Smith. Like, yeah. That was, that's the Edmonton Oilers perfectly summed up. And um, credit to yep. Francois in Colorado. He's been fantastic yeah. since Kemper has gone out. Yeah. He has, and the last two games, Edmonton hasn't really peppered him. But outside of that McLeod goal, he, the difference between him and Smith is the ones he should save, he's been saving. Which is all Colorado needs. Yeah. Just it was, this is Chris Osgood treatment. Just don't lose it for us. Be good enough to not blow this. Yeah. And um, because like, you know, 
Connor McDavid's got four points in three games against the best team in the world. He's doing his part. And now the Oilers are Oilersing. That's a thing. Even when the Oilers won games, I don't think it was Connor. I think Connor McDavid had to be eight points in three games level or him and Dreisaitl both, right? Like, Again, it's an eight. Well, that was his pace for the first two yeah. of the playoffs. It's an unconventional way to try to win playoff series, but they did. They've done it twice now, so we'll see how it shakes out. I hope for a, as a neutral fan's sake that we get more hockey, and it's not just four or five games. But we'll see how it goes. Very quickly on the Evander Kane Kadri hit, um, two things. One, I think the NHL got it right with the one game suspension. I think the refs in game had enough to give him five plus the game. I understand why they landed where he did. I think it was stupid and irresponsible from Evander Kane. I actually don't think that he went in there with the intention of drilling and hurting Kadri, but that doesn't absolve him of of what he did. It was dumb the whole way through. I think he was expecting more bracing from Kadri. Maybe a reverse hit or something he mentioned, but it was stupid. It sucks that Kadri got hurt off of that. That's That could be something that bites Colorado. If not this series, then maybe the next if they move on to the cup final. Um. Yeah, that just it's another nail in the Edmonton coffin to have their leader, one of their you know leading offensive players out in Game Four, and just really dumb by Kane, really dumb. He has no benefit of the doubt with me, and the position Kadri was in, he wasn't throwing a reverse hit. That excuse is bullshit. He was hunched over. You're not That's fair. You're yeah. not throwing a reverse hit from that. Did he absolutely belt him? No. He it was a shove, like it wasn't, but the, it was a shove four feet away from the boards when Kadri's numbers are directly facing him the so whole it, time. Like he didn't yeah, turn less. Yeah, second. this was Evander Kane is either paying the asshole tax or the stupid tax. <laughs> I don't care what side you're on. I can relate. <laughs> like I don't care what side of the argument you're on. If he didn't mean to, or he did mean to, one game in a conference final, yeah sure it's fine like that's one that in the regular season i would hope would be four or five games just because i've got on my pedestal about how that type of hit is and bednar said it himself the most dangerous type of hit in the game of hockey it's not hyperbole to say you could kill a person in that position because we've seen it happen guys hit head first break their necks shit happens i still remember like from when i'm eight years old in hockey camp Every year, and I would go to the same damn hockey camp at the Kitchener Auditorium every damn summer, and they would pay play the same video. Mike Bossy was the guy who did it. I always remember this. The sole purpose of the video is here's why you don't hit kids from behind, and they would go through all the scenarios. If he hits like this, they would show the human skeleton and what's happening and how you can break your neck and how you can get concussions, everything, every damn year for five years. No, they were really worried about you Kitchener kids. They gave you videos and everything. No, they wanted to know what was going to happen to us when we played Windsor. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, man, we're rough around the edges from Windsor. <laughs> like, but literally, this is stuff they teach people yeah. not to do. In novice. Yeah. You can't tell me Evander Kane didn't know that a player who's hunched over four feet away from the boards, even just a half-ass shove in his lower back. You know what's going to happen there. I think sometimes here's the thing you're right i think players no matter what you can't do it and you have to be responsible for that sometimes players are stronger on their skates or they're at a point in the turn where they won't go into the boards like that but 
if you're if you're making that shove, you're risking it, and you know damn well you're doing it. And Kane knew damn well that that was a risk. He still made the play. I think it was enough for five in a game. Again, I understand early in an important game three in the uh, the Western Conference Final, I understand why the refs didn't give him the game misconduct on top of the five. But I mean, I'm happy that he he at least got the game. A lot of people were were automatically joking about the fine, but yeah, got the game. I mean, Hagel just got a fine, but either way. We can, the, the praise for the Department of Player Same Safety play. can only extend to one incident because the moment you try to find correlation, you are in the danger zone there. Eastern Conference Final. Raise your hand if you thought the New York Rangers were going to take the first two games against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That is the Tampa Bay Lightning I thought we were going to see more of in these playoffs. They didn't look bad, but it looked like New York had the legs. And I mean, credit, you have two of the best goalies on the planet, probably the two best goalies on the planet right now battling it out. And Shesterkin came out on top for the first two games. But that you almost like to see it no matter who you're pulling for in that series. Well, I mean, Tampa Bay should be clarified. One game three today with a uh, kind of last minute Andre Pollock will after a fantastic play from Kucherov. After the Rangers were up to nothing in this game too. Yep. Tampa is still Tampa. And they reminded us today that they're still Tampa. I mean, the Rangers are going to be a fascinating, a fascinating case study going forward if they get to the cup finals here, even if they get absolutely smacked by Colorado. Yeah. What's the key to being competitive for a cup? Open letters to the public. Because I can think of two. <laughs> between- well, not, not to be like overly simplistic, but if you could clone Igor Shesterkin and drop him on the Edmonton Oilers right now, are those teams so different? You've got your... Two to three superstars at forward, driving a majority of the offense and a world-class goalie saving your ass. Um, the only difference strategically between Edmonton and the Rangers for me is Edmonton doesn't have an Adam Fox. Yeah, so they have Fox. Whether you like it or not, the way Truba plays. But and the Rangers also don't have a Connor McDavid, so. That's true. I don't know, like... They don't have a McDavid dry cycle, but I do think they have a more potent spread out offense. And a big part of their offense is that even the kids are doing it. Lafreniere, yeah. Heedle, Kako, they're like they're showing up now, which is what they needed. But yeah, this is kind of my thinking with the Rangers is they're very driven by their superstars. And then their secondary scoring is coming primarily from the players who could be superstars and are still fairly young and like obviously i don't think anybody's expecting heedle to be a superstar but you know caco and lafreniere are starting to play like the players people thought lafreniere and caco were supposed to be so get yourself a a stud defenseman a lot of good young players on elcs and get your hands on you know a few superstars and a big goalie and honestly the rest of the roster doesn't matter that much because beyond that there's not a whole hell of a lot special about the new york rangers and a lot of Key areas, they're below average. I think I think I'm going to disagree there. They're not special when you compare them to what makes the Oilers special. No, I'm saying they're going to be a fascinating case study because teams like built like the Rangers normally don't get to this point. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Gerard Gallant here. Like there were points in the first in the opening round where I looked at the Rangers and I said, they're not going anywhere playing like this. They look sloppy. They look out of sorts. They don't look like they have any kind of cohesive team play, system, production, whatever. They've really turned it on and kind of found their form. Half of that battle in the playoffs is staying healthy. And half of that battle is obviously being able to hang on even when you're not playing that well. 
Fortunately for them, they have an Igor Shosturkin. Fortunately for them, they have a Chris Kreider who doesn't matter, you know, rain or shine, he's scoring goals. Um, and not to discredit the rest of the team, they're also doing a lot there too. Zabinajad, Adam Fox has like, what, 16 point? I don't know. He's, he's lighting up the score sheet as usual and people aren't talking about him. They've they've found their way. I think this would be hard to replicate. And I'm sure if you went up to a lot of NHL GMs and you're like, hey, the, the New York Rangers aren't doing anything notably spectacular, they'd be like, okay, find me an Igor Shesterkin, please. <laughs> find me a Mika Zibanejad. Find me a Chris Kreider. It's not sexy the same way the Oilers are. It's not sexy the same way you look at the Colorado Avalanche and you're like, wow, they have Nathan McKinnon playing for a box of Timbits every game. It's not the same as the Tampa Bay Lightning where you're like, they have won two straight cups and before a week ago hadn't slowed down. I think it's a really interesting story. You're right. It's an interesting case study. I'm curious to see how this closes out. In any case, I'm really surprised by how strong the Rangers have looked against Tampa Bay. Doesn't matter how this one turns out. I'm happy they've made it a series. Yeah, I I didn't give them much of a chance against Tampa. And, you know, at least as of the time of recording, they're up in the series. So, and the first game, they they smacked them. Yes. That game wasn't close. No, that game was like, ooh, Tampa Bay is rusty. That was a lot of days off and they kind of missed their form a little bit. And this game today, game three was... This is the Tampa Bay that won cups because even when they looked like they weren't the better team or maybe they weren't going to win the game, they found a way to get it done because it just takes one shot, one second, that's it. They grinded away. They didn't let go. They got it done. And and that's the difference between game one and game three, Tampa Bay. And that's how they've won cups. So don't count Tampa Bay out. It's only 2-1. All right. Some uh, quick news about awards before we talk about some betting odds. The awards that have come out have been fairly obvious. Jack Adams, coach of the year, NHL. Sutter in Calgary. When I saw Brian Sutter was presenting, I was really on my yeah, the edge of my seat as who it might be. We were all wondering. Uh, credit to Sutter and what he's been able to do. He he came in and a lot of people had questions of, this is old school. This is the kind of guy where you're like, is this what this team needs? But Treliving and the Flames were like, we have all the talent and we haven't found someone to bind it all together and get the most out of them. And that's what Sutter's been able to do. So credit to Brent Sutter um, and what he's been able to do with the Flames. I know the playoffs color this a little bit differently but still you can't deny the regular season that they had and i think it's easy to say had they not run into the edmonton oilers and Connor mcdavid um, things would look different but i could see this a version of this team going further they're gonna have a big offseason ahead of them though there's a lot to decide um what's gonna happen with johnny goudreau is is most notable but yeah there's a lot that true living has in front of them uh, the Masterton, the that goes to the player that best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey, Carey Price. We all know the story with Carey Price. I'm actually surprised that he hasn't announced a retirement. I I hope for the sake of hockey that he does find a way to make it back into the game and, and Montreal is able to coax him back in. But even if he retires, it's good to see him come back and play after everything he's gone through for over the last couple of years. So kind of wild. Um you know, that he went from playing in the cup final to this, but uh, to the season he had, but nice to see him recognized with the Masterton. And then the Selkie for best defensive forward. When are they going to rename it the Bergeron? And that's coming from a Red Wings fan who at one point said we should rename it the Datsuk, but this is Bergeron's award. He wins it again this year. I saw a stat like in the last five years, there's only been a handful of ballots that he has not been on. Patrice Bergeron might be retiring 
and he's winning a major award still. Like, it is amazing the level that this guy has been able to keep th- over the years. And I'm convinced if he stays on, he'll win another one. It's just a matter of whether or not he's going to stay on. So we'll see. The big ones, the big awards are still to come. There's, uh, you know, the heart. There's the Calder. We all know how the Calder is going to shake out. Unless the universe feels like pissing us off that day. Um, I feel like the hot takery hasn't been fired up on this uh, pod in a while. So, you know, we could we could use some yelling and screaming and name calling and not in that space. And I I, I genuinely think it's going to go. It's going to go Cider's way. But still, if it doesn't. There will be flames. Yes. Which is unfortunate because this is a beautiful table. <laughs> Thank you, RD Ward working. Uh, okay, let's take a look at some betting odds before jumping into overtime. And this is sponsored by our good friends at the FanDuel Sportsbook, where we're going to take a look at uh, some different FanDuel Sportsbook uh, NHL odds, maybe talk about where we've been in the past and what we would do uh, moving forward. Let's look at games. So we're recording this on Sunday. Let's look at Edmonton here. So they're at home uh, at game four. They're a plus 108 underdog compared to Colorado, who's a minus 130 to close out the sweep on the road. I'm not going to say it's impossible for Colorado to sweep. I think Noe Vander Kane for the Edmonton Oilers makes it much more likely, but where's Kadri going to be at for Colorado? I don't think the, the impacts of those two players are equivalent to the teams right now, but I don't know. You have a team that has Connor McDavid. You have to think they might be able to eke out, eke out one win, right? Nope. Still, that's pretty good odds for the Colorado Avalanche. It's the Colorado Avalanche against Mike Smith. Did they come out with Mike Smith game four? Did they come out with Koskinen? There were a couple times in these playoffs the Oilers should have switched and they didn't. So I think they're in too deep at this point. I think Mike Smith is a ride or die. And um, I think in this particular instance, it'll be the die. Over seven minus 102, under seven minus 120. So the over is the slight, slight underdog. It's kind of weird. You have an 8-6 first game, and then it, it kind of died down after that, right? No Vander Kane, no Nazem Kadri. That's going to help the under. I mean, Colorado is going to be motivated because now they have one less of four capable scorers on the Oilers to focus on. So now they only have to focus on three of them. One of them is still Connor McDavid, but I, th- I think the under is the bet there. New York at Tampa Bay. New York on the road, plus 140. Tampa at home, minus 170 for game four. Well, to go to flip the script entirely, um, I want to make the logical pick here, but nothing in these playoffs has made a whole hell of a lot of sense. So yeah, let's let's go with the Rangers. Why not? It feels like it shouldn't happen, so it probably will. This I is my like, this is my pure gut pick. I kind of like the Rangers there too, just from a gut pick. The fact that they were able to take the first two, and the fact that Game Three was so close, you kind of think that there's a chance here. It's not a guarantee, right? Of course, um, it's still Tampa Bay you're talking about, but. Maybe Tampa Bay, just for one game, isn't able to make that comeback. Maybe they're, they don't find that play to plot. The Rangers have been getting better and better. I, I have a hard time doing that bet super confidently, but plus 140, not too bad. Maybe Shesterkin's pissed. Maybe Shesterkin's pissed, right? Um, The series overall, I, I, I mean, you're, you're looking at plus 2,400 for the Oilers, minus 4,000 for the Avalanche. I don't think the Oilers, I, I, I don't see a world where the Oilers with Mike Smith, with me, if it, missing Evander Kane next game are going to come back and win this. It's, of course, not impossible, but that's like a Hail Mary. 
you know, you put five bucks down or, or whatever you want to put down and you just assume it's gone. And if not, congratulations, buy me a new car, please. But yeah, I, I don't see that one being terribly likely in Edmonton's favor. However, the Rangers minus 140, Tampa plus 120. If you're a believer in Tampa Bay right now still, which you would have every right to be and maybe it would even be justified more so in, in being plus 120 for Tampa Bay. It's not often you're going to find Tampa Bay as an underdog in a series right now. So if you are, that's your opportunity to pounce, right? You got to think so. It's We're getting down to the final four. The value opportunities are starting to get very few and very far between. There's It wouldn't even be crazy if I say the Rangers win game four and then they do. And then Tampa still wins the series. If the Rangers are up 3-1, I could still justify taking the the longer shot odds for Tampa Bay. It is Tampa Bay. They're still doing Tampa Bay things. Maybe it was the time off. Maybe it's they they just need some time to figure out the other team. Shesterkin's a phenomenal goalie that they're playing. It's they who they play before Jack Campbell and uh, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. That's not been Igor Shesterkin. So if they just need some time to figure him out. Again, I'm not trying to disparage the Rangers. That's also if you're confident in, in them finishing it out, take them at minus 140 if you think they're going to win Game Four, but. Tampa's is that's a good opportunity to try to get them at a very rare underdog. Stanley Cup. The favorites, Colorado Avalanche minus 195, Tampa plus 400, the Rangers plus 400. Colorado's going to be the favorite when they get to the finals against whoever they're playing. So this is the best their value is ever going to be. So if you think right now Colorado's winning the cup, today is the date. <laughs> Man, the Rangers at plus 400. And this is like, I don't mean to go against what I was just saying about Tampa Bay, but if you don't think Tampa Bay is going to have enough in the series to do it once again, bet on everything. One of them will hit Ryan Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be wrong, but no, seriously, the Rangers in Tampa Bay are both uh, pegged at plus 400. Okay. The Rangers are, have better odds or the Rangers should be closer in your mind because they have that one extra win. They're at 2-1. Rangers at plus 400. It's not bad. It's not bad, but they're going to run into Colorado. I like for me, all paths either lead to or through Colorado. Well, we'll see how this shakes out. Things are getting super, super interesting. Uh, so as does the betting. So thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring that segment. And let us know uh, if you make a bet. We want to hear how it goes and whether me or Brad was right. Evan's not here to save us this time. All right, we're going to jump into overtime, which is uh, first and foremost brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club and support the show. They're the reason we're able to uh, run the show during the Red Wings offseason, take a look at prospect profiles, talk about potential free agents, and cover the Stanley Cup playoffs for you all while uh, surviving without Evan Lobsinger, who we had to practically pry away. He actually started a golf cult. The... Uh, the deity they worshipped was a pitching wedge, so it was only a matter of time before that happened. So I thought uh, he actually joined the Live Golf Tour. Yeah, yeah, he was the one. <laughs> Maybe that's it. They know they didn't actually have enough money to bring him in. They had to settle for Dustin Johnson at uh, 125 million or whatever it was. But no, seriously, thank you all so much. Our patrons are incredible. Um, Patreon.com/slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Cody Stark asks, who is your favorite non-Red Wings NHL player of the 90s and 2000s? I'd have to say Paul Correa takes a cake for both decades for me. Pavel Bure. 
Yeah, yours is Pavel Bure. Pavel Bure, 1,000% Pavel Bure. Nobody. There's a lot of players that I also really like. Paul Correa was actually very high on my list as well, but Bure was my guy. I really think Al McInnes doesn't get talked about enough. Oh, he does around here. He played for the Kitchener Rangers, won a Mem Cup with them. Everybody around here remembers Al McInnes. I know. I love seeing Al, Al McInnes' name at the odd. Um, yeah, it's Korea's high on a lot of people's lists too. I had a weird thing about uh, Milan Hayduk. I didn't like the Avs. I, you, it's your job as a Red Wings fan to hate the Avs, but I really appreciated Milan Hayduk. I'll give you a name that nobody talks about, but was like a legit star for stre- for a big stretch of the 90s. And I don't know why more people didn't talk to him, talk about it, but I'm going to say it and you're going to go, oh, yeah, wow. Peter Bondra. Oh, yeah. Wow. Peter Bondra was so fun. He he, is he was of, Pavel Bure light. He is one of the players you think about when you think of the screaming Eagles jersey. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And he was a star before they even went to those jerseys. Yeah. Just that capitals weren't very relevant from most of the 90s other than that one surprise run in 98. But yeah, Bondra was, oh, he scored so many sickles. <laughs> and we'll throw out a, an Alexa Yashin appreciation sentence here. Like, oh, man. He was good. Yeah. Like he became a meme because of the trade and the con. But in Ottawa, he was legit gross. The Senators of old had a lot of Jason Spezza just retired. Jason Spezza, I mean, as a Windsor Spitfires fan and as a Windsor kid, like he has a special place in my heart. That guy, it is amazing that we still talk about him now because of how long he's been around. But don't forget, he's a phenom. He was a phenom in his day. Anybody else forget that Marion Hosa played a good long time for the Senators? A lot of people do because of everything <laughs> that happened. And Sedano Chara. Yeah. Remember when Wade Redden was a legit star? Wade, I saw someone have a list of their you know best sends of all time and Wade Redden wasn't on it. I'm like, that is sacrilege. Like, you are not appreciating what Wade Redden did for the sends. Oh, a thousand percent. Uh, I'm, I'm getting real. Like scouts. that guy was making Team Canada teams when like on in best on best like competitions like. Man, a lot of childhood coming back right now. Oh, yeah. I There's definitely a thousand names I'm forgetting because, like, I have a million players that fit onto this list. But there, there's my lesser appreciated ones. Uh, Jake Nagy says, The Athletic reported that Martin Nachash could be headed out of town in Carolina. What do you think a fair trade offer for him looks like? And would you be interested in acquiring him? What I did you- not see that rumor, so I was not prepared for this question. I mean... He's young and good, um, and even though he's coming off a down year, Carolina is not going to be asking that price for him. They're still going to be trading uh, him based on still untapped potential. So, right he, shot, twenty three year old centerman, top ten pick or twelve, twelve, close to a top ten pick. Hey, Carolina, how about this? We give you the ninth overall pick from that same year. You upgrade three spots. Don't worry about. There you it. go. Done. <laughs> Now you're probably looking at like a good prospect in a first round pick. Like look at what Carolina was willing to give up for Kanami via the offer sheet. They're going to be wanting Nate Ash is way better than Kanami. If you want to trade for, for Martin, Martin Nate Ash, you now is the time to do it. A down year for him was still 40 points in 78 games on a stacked Carolina roster. Right? So I would personally love to see him on Detroit, but that price is high enough where you would have to find a way to do it without giving up a first for at least the next couple of seasons in my mind, because otherwise you're getting into dangerous territory. Nate Ash makes you better. 
but to guarantee that a first round pick doesn't that you're giving up doesn't bite you in the ass you essentially have to move on a lot of different things to move you out of that range so even if you're not winning or or making the playoffs you have to be damn close otherwise imagine like carolina gets a bedard making (laughs) the, the conference final in that year or whatever but it's interesting Hey, Carolina, this is a symptom of two things. If you're a good team and you're up against an artificially tight cap right now, any team would be in that situation, but also they, they have tight purse strings. You know how ownership runs that, that, that team. So if they want to let an HH go, then Michael Rasmussen's locked up two more years under two mil. Just saying there are, I think there are a lot of ways that the Red Wings could do this with non first futures, but they have a smart group over there in management. They have Eric Tulski. They like, you can joke all you want about ownership, but Waddell and Tulski and everyone they have there, they're big hockey brains. Connor Duke says, who is the Mo of this year's draft? Oh, shit, I don't know, but I'd love to know. <laughs> um, is there a player who you would be baffled by if Stevie picks him at eight, but maybe we're all just dumber than him? Many. Uh, everybody I have ranked outside of my top 20. <laughs> That's essentially the way to think about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's a player who you would love for the re- to drop to the Red Wings in the second round, but you don't think will make it that far, but you wouldn't consider consider at pick eight right now? That's your answer. Jagger Furcus. Right? You think defenseman when you think of that, because that's what, what it happened with, but Jager Furcus could be an example. They're like, oh, the talent on this kid is unbelievable. He's underscouted. Kind of hard. He's to, not underscouted. He's not NHL, but yeah. yeah, it's a CHL. You don't typically. You're not typically underscouted there, but yeah, that's that's the formula for it. You'd want to look more in European league. So let's take some time to think about that one. Actually, <laughs> this name, Ryan Hanna's missed year of development. So it's been browsing cap friendly lately and seeing a lot of proposed trades for Marcus Pedersen, Nate Schmidt, or Alec Martinez to stop gaps, usually for a third round pick. Thoughts on which would be best slash worst. Martinez is the oldest with the biggest cap hit, so I'll say worst. And I'm lukewarm on the other two. I don't care. Though there's a funny line that is crossed one way or another, and it really depends on the GM, the weather, the time of year, and just how desperate people are feeling where you have a good player with a bad cap hit or a good player with a decent cap hit, but the team is really tight to the cap. And sometimes teams are giving up assets and you're like, Wow, it sucks that to give up assets to to unload a good player. So and so really made out like bandits here. And sometimes someone helps them. Like I feel like teams have helped Pittsburgh so often. And you're like, why would you give them something for that player? You helped their cap. Don't help that team. And I think a couple of those guys fit in that kind of awkward gray zone. So a lot of that is really kind of a flip of a coin. Uh, stay fresh cheese bag says, Ooh, the NHL playoffs. See red hot offensive juggernaut. Philip Heedle rack up another Nick Paul with another bullet from the blue line. That rock solid stifling defense of Cody CC, uh, Mike Smith with the brick wall elite shutdown forward. Darren Helms strips the puck away from noted defensive liability. Connor McDavid watch top free agents to be Valerie Nichushkin and Andre Burakovsky lead the charge. We are living in the backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, you should uh, write ads for the, uh, for the NHL. I unironically love that about the playoffs. Like those are the storylines that I love. Natushin's going to be an expensive player, yeah. Yep. Oh, is he ever? Billy Huso has done the opposite with his his performance yeah. in St. Louis. Actually, let's save Billy Huso for another one of our little free agent looks because I think he could be he could be an interesting look for Detroit there. Absolutely, he could. Uh, Michael Rasmussen's offensive upside is looking more promising than it's ever looked since he got to the NHL. Says, thoughts on the following trades. To Detroit, Alex Debrinkit, 
to Chicago, Tyler Bertuzzi, 50% retained and eighth overall. I think this could work because Chicago could flip Bertuzzi at the deadline for a crazy return. So they come out with more assets in the end. I think Debrinkit is better than any player we'd get at eight. How old is Debrinkit now? 23, 24. Yeah. Oh, he's actually going to be, he's 24. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm not saying whoever the Red Wings get at eight is going to be as good as Debrinkit. Probably not. But then you're also factoring on what the Red Wings could flip Bertuzzi at for the deadline for a King's ransom. If you're saying the Hawks are going to do the same thing. So factor in that hall plus eighth overall. I don't love it. I know that it all depends on, on the negotiation and there's no way to know that unless you're in the room with Bertuzzi's agent and Eisenman or Draper, whoever's negotiating. Um, But I just can't help but think the move here, like you said, is okay. If someone's going to extend Bertuzzi and flip them, then make sure it's Detroit. Yeah, You have the cap room. If you have no intention of keeping Bertuzzi at the number he demands, but here's a, here's an option, right? Here's something that people don't consider. Bertuzzi demands too much. And Eisman's like, you're not going to fit into what I want as a cap structure like that long term. But maybe you, you give a little bit more leeway than you think than you otherwise would with the intention of retaining a mill or two and then trading him on an artificially you know friendly deal. Yeah. So you have to you trade into a team and you say we're going to retain a mil for the duration of the contract, mil and a half, and and that's the overage. Then you're at least selling a priced in player, which is worth way more than a player who's just as good, but it's just a version of him who only has one year left on his contract. And that to me is, I'd rather have that. And that's all. Like, of course, you'd rather have that. You'd rather have the better situation for your GM to deal with, but. Yeah. If you're selling Bertuzzi to move up in the draft, go for a second overall, right? Get your, get your chance to draft Cooley or Slavkovsky. Uh, NJ Redwing Dub says, I understand the hesitancy to sign long-term deals in the free agency, but unless Stevie Y can swindle a trade, the Red Wings still need a 2C. This is from Reddit. Uh, if you had to sign one of these contracts in free agency, which would you do? Nazem Kadri at four years times $8 million. Vincent Trocek or Ryan Strom at six years times six million, or Andrew Kopp at five years times five and a half million. Those are all terrible options. Uh, Kopp, because it's the shortest and cheapest. Kadri is four years, eight million. Okay. Well, Kopp was cheapest. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that. Naz, eight mil. I know. For a guy who's 30. Two thirty-three. Is he already thirty-three? Yeah, he was drafted in two thousand eight. Oh, God, this podcast is just about the passage of time and how we have a hard time reconciling that. Hey, he's thirty-one. Yeah, he's close 31. enough. Nothing like paying a thirty-five-year-old eight million dollars when you're trying to contend. And we have time for one more from Reddit here. From Pinecone Nugget says, what do you make of Slavkovsky being asked if he can play center at the combine? Do you see this as a legitimate possibility for him or just GMs doing their due diligence? GMs doing their due diligence. I don't want to say it's not a possibility for him. You've seen crazier things. And if you're as dynamic of a player as your Slavkovsky is, it's absolutely, you know, could be in the cards. I think you see it more often go in the other direction. Players who are going to play center, you see them that way right now and they move to wing it's harder to kind of move to center 
it's doing their due diligence. You also have to understand, like Slavkovsky, he's not a late riser, but a lot of the the story on him has been written more recently than on Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. So yeah, it's due diligence, but also scouting groups are are trying to see if there's been anything that's uh, that's not really been uncovered on him, and now's the time to do it. If New Jersey thinks they can draft him as a center, maybe they hang on to that pick, or maybe they try to sell that pick as, hey, you can take Cooley or Slavkovsky. So that's why you should give us this King's Ransom for second overall. Vancouver was one of the teams who asked. Vancouver really loves Slavkovsky, but they'd really love him more if he was a, a centerman. So you're giving up JT Miller, you're giving up you know some big name in a trade. You definitely do that if you think you're getting a, a, a first overall or first line center or top six center there. So due diligence is the real answer, but um, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible for sure. Okay, let's say Slavkovsky can play center. Who are you taking if you're the Red Wings at second overall? God, probably still Cooley. Not by much though, right? No, it's not by much now. People are talking about Slavkovsky first overall, and the more I hear it, the less crazy I think it is. I still, I'm still betting on Shane Wright, but yeah. Okay. We're going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, we are getting tired of of just hanging out, you and I. We need uh, Evan in here as the uh, as the moderator, however you think of that. Um, no, but seriously, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you to the sponsors of this show, the FanDuel Sportsbook. To all of our listeners, all of you who have followed us on our socials, uh, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, uh, Facebook, YouTube, obviously Twitter. Uh, thank you. If you want to support the show, giving us a follow there, rating the show wherever you listen. Apple podcast is massive, massive, massive. Uh, Spotify as well. Thank you all so much uh, for leaving those ratings. And uh, to all of our patrons, we can't say thank you enough. To our name level sponsors uh, of the Winged Wheel podcast, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver for the number 69 Cry and Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutan and Analuski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnit, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Helm was held back by Blash Hill. Hassam al Qasem, I Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle, Hash- Kyle Hashman, Marcus, uh, Margaret Own, who is a brand new uh, uh, Winged Wheel podcast patron. So welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card. If you listened this far, congratulations. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Papa Woody, Professor Balzac, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Trevor, Trevor Pevavar, Wish.com, Shea Weber, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so very, very, very much, and we will talk to you midweek. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.